Well, it really is a privilege to be with you today. And um, when I was speaking to Tom about this morning, and he said to me, do you want to follow our series, or do you want to just preach on something that you feel is right? And I said, oh, I don't mind. I prefer to do whatever you're doing, really. I said, but I'm quite happy. It's the Sunday after Easter, and I love speaking about the resurrection. And then he came back, well, our series is Luke 24. So, okay, that's fine. We'll do. We'll go with that. That's perfect. Um, now, I don't know how you respond to big news. I think one of the things that I've noticed over recent years is that everybody responds differently. Whether that's good news or bad news. Some people, particularly when it comes to bad news, you know, police officers, family support workers, this sort of thing, are, are well trained in delivering bad news to people in a way that they digest it and take it in. But the same can be true of good news. One of the things I've noticed is that very often, particularly when we've had bad news delivered, my wife will react immediately Whereas I'm going into practical mode, we need to do this, we need to do that, and then about five hours later, suddenly it hits me like a train, and there's this kind of delayed reaction going on. And we all respond to big news slightly differently based on how we function. But the thing is, you know, it takes time. We're used to it when it comes to grief and all those things now. When you, ha when, when you lose someone, you get used to the fact that people say, oh, there's different stages of grief and you move through it at a different rate and different people do things differently and you feel differently after six weeks to after six hours to after six days to after six months. There's a process that you go through. Now, why am I talking about all this stuff? Well, because actually... The story and the news that Jesus is risen from the dead is just about the biggest, most momentous, earth-shattering, expectation-defying news that has ever been delivered to anyone. And it remains that today. And we kind of, particularly if we've been in church a long time, we get a bit glib about it. Oh yeah, it's Easter, we remember that Jesus died and then he rose again. Hang on a minute. Just pinch yourself for a minute. Oh yeah. Jesus died, like everybody dies, and then three days later, he was physically really alive, never ever to die again. I think that's quite extraordinary. I don't know anyone else that has ever happened to in quite the same way. This is huge. This is off-the-scale big news. And when you read in Luke 24 how the disciples responded when they heard this news, you see a little bit of some of these stages of them processing this news and responding to it. And I want to suggest actually in many ways, the way they respond, the way they process it is very often the way we respond to it and the way we process it. And maybe we can see ourselves at different stages of the kind of reaction that we see from the disciples here in Luke 24. If we're honest, if we've got past the stage of, oh, this is Easter and that's what we remember, if we really are taking on board the full significance of what is going on here. So the first reaction to them that they have is really of fear, confusion, disbelief. 
denial almost from verse 36 to verse 43. The words that are used, and they were startled, they were frightened, they were troubled, Jesus said. They had doubts rising in their minds. And then they were full of joy and amazement. So their reactions were like, whoa, whoa, all over the place. It was a bit of a roller coaster when they realized what was going on. At first, they simply didn't get it. And that's really important for us to understand. Because sometimes we or our contemporaries do this slightly patronising thing that people back in Bible days believed any old rubbish because they were superstitious. The simple fact of the matter is Jesus' disciples, Jesus' contemporaries were far more used to death than we ever are for the most part, unless you happen to work in the emergency services. They were familiar with death, and they knew, as sure as anything, that when someone died, they died. That was it. End of. There was no question. They knew that. And so that's why they reacted as they did, because actually, wow, this isn't supposed to happen. This is beyond all our experience. This is beyond all our expectation. And you know, can I say this? Even as a Christian, I think it's okay sometimes to stop and say, did this really happen? In fact, if I would almost argue that if you never say that, if you've never asked that question, I wonder if you've really grasped just how massive this is. This is something that happened in real life to a real human being, the Lord Jesus, who relied on oxygen and blood flowing through his veins to keep alive, and then that all stopped, and his heart shut down, and his brain shut down, and then three days later, he was alive enough to be eating. It's quite extraordinary stuff, and we are quite entitled with the disciples to say, whoa, this blows my mind a little bit. Life doesn't usually work like that. But there is massive evidence that that's exactly what happened. But we need to start by realising that. And when we do, I think it puts a lot of other things into context. A long time ago, longer now than I cared to remember, when I was still a young man, I used to work in the city of London. And I used to have the joy of commuting every day, often on the Sidcup line, and the trains then were no better than I'm sure they are now. And uh, at one point, I'd actually given my notice in from a well-paid job in the city of London because I was going to go and become a pastor of a church. At the time, we had one child who was six months old. And I was about to take a salary cut of more than 50% of my salary. And one of these days, sitting on the 7.32 to Charing Cross, it got to just outside London Bridge, and the signals failed. Now, if you've ever been on that line and that happens, you know the joy of that experience. And we sat there, feeling very positive and encouraging and smiling. I mean, this was in the day, my, man, this dates me, before people had mobile phones. You know, people were reading newspapers, if you can imagine that. That's how old school this was. Um, and I, I sat there, 
And I was due to be leaving that lifestyle, if you like, within a matter of weeks. And this thought came into my head, and that thought was, what if it's all a load of rubbish, Mark? What if you're about to chuck away a good career and your family's financial security over a load of fairy stories? Now, I don't know what you would do in that situation. I don't know what you think the spiritual reaction is to sort of dismiss it in the name of Jesus or I don't know. But I thought, hang on, I've had that thought. I've got to work this out. This is kind of quite significant, really. I need to be sure that what I'm doing here isn't utter financial, emotional and familial suicide, really. I've got to be really clear this makes sense. And, you know, the one thing as I sat in that eternity, it seemed, waiting for the signals to change outside London Bridge, the thing that I came back to was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the fact that actually so much else simply didn't make sense unless Jesus really rose from the dead. Really, physically, as a human being, he died and then he was alive again. And once you've accepted that, once you've understood that, so many other things start to fall into place. But you have to start from this place that the disciples did. They were startled and frightened. They were confused and they were doubting. And that is a legitimate place to start when faced with this incredible news that Jesus is alive. But then they'd got that and they moved on to the next stage. They'd understood that physically Jesus was alive. He ate with them. They realized this was really happening. And then what happens? Then he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Verse 44, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And what Jesus does at this point is he gives them an understanding of the context of what's going on here. He effectively gives them, no doubt, the gist of Adam's nine-week course in understanding God's big story. He makes it clear that this is not some freak, random, supernatural event that's just happened out of nowhere. This is part of God's plan and God's purpose. All of what's happened for Jesus over the last few days is part of God's plan and God's purpose. Not just the resurrection, but the suffering and dying is part of God's plan and part of God's purpose. He gives them an understanding of the significance of all that's gone on. You see, it was always God's purpose that in order to save those like us who'd gone their own way and rejected him, that Jesus would die because there was no other way. But it was also always God's purpose that Jesus would then raise to new life and be vindicated, as Paul says in Romans, the vindication of all that had gone before. 
This is not something out of nowhere. This is right at the heart of God's story, right at the heart of God's purpose for the world, that this specific individual should die, and in dying should take the weight of our sin and our suffering, and then should burst through into new life and say, actually, the end of the story is not what we think is the end of the story. That's actually just the real start. The offer of new life because of what Jesus has done is there now. Now, that's not to say that we ever get to the stage where we understand all of it. Did, at this moment, the disciples say, okay, yeah, I get it now, it's all right, I'm never going to question it, I'm never going to doubt it again, it all makes sense. I'm not convinced they did. I'm not convinced we'd have the rest of the New Testament if they did. Because the rest of the New Testament is a working out of what this means. What this incredible event of Jesus' death and his resurrection is really all about is then worked out in the rest of the New Testament. But, but, the light bulb moment, if you like, for the disciples when it all made sense wasn't just when they realised that it really was Jesus, that he was physically alive, that he was eating with them, but it was when they realised this was what God had planned all along. That this was part of God's good purpose, that Jesus died taking our sin and rose again defeating death. And actually, what he did in that was opening the way to new life for you and me and actually new creation for the whole world. This is big news. This is big news. But it's not the end of the story there. It doesn't stop there. So the first stage for the disciples is confusion, doubt. What's going on? This is all too strange. The second stage is, okay, I understand that God's at work in this. The third stage, the third stage is the story carries on. And they have a responsibility because of that. Verse 46, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So how is this going to happen? These same disciples who are questioning and full of doubt and don't understand what's going on are going to be the ones who are going to turn the world upside down as they go and say to people, the Messiah's come, he died and he rose again, and because of that we can all be restored to right relationship with God. Because actually the story carries on even today. And you and I share that responsibility. Now we might think, but I'm at the doubt and confusion stage. I'm not sure if I get this. That's okay. God can move you on to the next stage. And when he does, you're part of the spreading of this story. You might think, well, I'm only just beginning to understand it. That's all right. You don't need to have all the answers, but you are part of what God is doing in spreading this news across the whole planet, across every generation, to children and young people like we do in Cribs. We all have a part to play 
in this. Because the story goes on. One more final, slightly unusual story. I don't know if you are a Christian and you were brought up in a good Christian home and you've ever had that thought, oh, I haven't got much of a testimony. I wish I was an axe murderer or something. You know, maybe not, it's a bit dramatic. You know, you think, oh, I haven't got much to say. Um, you know, I, I don't really have much to say. I just, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I prayed a prayer when I was young. And I remember doing some research. That was my story. And I remember doing some research in my family tree um, a couple of years ago. And um, my grandpa, my dad's dad, was the son of a German-Jewish immigrant to the UK at the end of the 19th century. And um, his dad, Emil, was the black sheep of the family, as my grandpa used to say, who went through two fortunes and was a bit dodgy. When we started looking for him, he disappeared. He, he, my grandpa said he walked out of my grandpa's life when he was a small child. We, caught, we, we got a record of him on a boat going to Mexico at some point, never to be seen again. When my grandpa's mum, 30 years later, 40 years later, wanted to trace her son, because she'd given up on him as well, first thing she did was write to all the prisons in London, because that was the expectation. My grandpa, at the age of seven, eight, nine, was hanging around with a gang, as he used to call it, a bunch of kids who basically lived on the streets in the east end of London in the early 1900s, getting up to all sorts. Until one Sunday afternoon, when his friends weren't around, and he was bored, and he walked into a Salvation Army hall, and he always was saying, I heard a woman preach the cross. And my family history changed at that point. I'm here today because of that lady in a Salvation Army hall in the East End in 1900 and whatever, who was telling the gospel story to a bunch of kids. Now, I don't know how that all works in practice. What I do know is every single one of us here, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you wanted to trace your spiritual family tree, you could trace it back to the disciples. Because someone shared their faith with someone who prayed for someone else, who prayed for someone else, who prayed for someone else. And we, do, we could all go back to the, the disciples. Now, that's a bizarre thought, isn't it? If you can't sleep at night, think of that. But the fact is that responsibility remains with us now to pass that message on to the next generation, to be part of the last couple of verses that we read today where repentance and forgiveness of sins is pe preached in the name of Jesus to all nations. We are witnesses of these things, not quite in the same way as the original disciples, but in the sense that we have caught sight of what God was doing in Jesus. And if we let it, we let him, he will change our lives. I don't know what stage you're at this morning. There's not a right or wrong answer to that, really. But the thing is, we need to be moving through the stages. So if today you're at the doubt and confusion, I'm not sure I really get this faith, that's okay. But don't be content to stay there. Ask God to show you the truth. 
of Jesus' resurrection. And if you think, well, I, I sort of get that might have happened, but I don't know what it means, then get yourself to a place, do a Christianity Explored course or something, where you can understand what that means for you, that Jesus came and it was God's plan and God's purpose that he died and rose again to make relationship with his heavenly father accessible to the likes of me and you. And if you think, oh, well, I'm, I'm through that stage, well, then you're at the responsibility stage, a responsibility that we all share as disciples of Jesus to make sure that this incredible news that God hasn't abandoned us, he hasn't abandoned his world, but he's sacrificed himself and he's defeated death. We have a responsibility to spread that news to all generations, to all nations. And that's on us, by his grace, and by his Holy Spirit.